0: You are listening to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. To learn more about CRCC, including worship times, visit us at crcconline.com. Well, we're going to go into part four, and I'm going to hit it in just a minute. But before I do, I want to dive into God's Word for just a minute. And I want to share with you, some of you may not know this, but did you know that in God's Word in John chapter 17, and I'm fixing to read it, that Jesus literally has a prayer for you. You say, oh yeah, I know that the Lord's prayer. No, no, no. I'm talking about there was a moment prior to when he was arrested, prior to his betrayal, that he literally prayed a specific prayer for you. And there's seven things that are in this prayer that I want you to get before we dive into this part of the tree farm and kind of tie everything together. So if you have your Bibles, if you're on a tablet or if you're on your phone, come with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, starting in verse 13. And listen to these words that Jesus was praying before he went to the garden. He says this, But now I am coming to you. This is Jesus talking to his Father, Yahweh God. But now I am coming to you, that these things that I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. What he is talking about there is that he is saying, listen, God, Father, I am coming to you. Because there are some things that are in this world that I want to be in place. And I want to petition you and ask that you would do these things for these people that are going to be here. And one of the first things that he says is, listen to this, that my joy would be fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Verse 19. And for their sake I concentrate myself, consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. For I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you have sent me. Verse 26, final verse. I made known to you, made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which is with Sorry, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. In there, there are seven concepts that Jesus specifically prayed to be a part of your life. And I'll tell you the verse, and if you have a paper copy, you can underline it. And I want to give you to the one main bottom line of what this prayer for you was. First thing that he talked about, number one, is that they, we would have this joy, this fulfillment of joy that would be in our life. And not only did the first thing he says, I want them to be joy, but he said that because he knew what the second thing he was going to ask was. See, not only did he say that I want my joy to be fulfilled in them, but then he starts talking about the world, he says, because they're going to be in the world. But they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And listen to what he said. It shows up in verse 15. He says, don't take them out of the world. I just want you to let that sink in for a minute. Jesus' prayer was that despite that you would be in the world, that you would have joy fulfilled in you through him because he didn't want to take you out of it. That could bring up so many rabbit trails in my mind and probably in you, but I'm not going to go there today. I just want you to know that sometimes when you feel like, why in the world am I in this situation? These people are crazy. These people are driving me crazy. These people don't understand. These people don't have a faith base. Why do people act like, seems like the world's gone to hell in a handbasket. And I don't know how to react or whatever your feelings are. I want you to know that when you find yourself in a very difficult situation in this world, you are exactly where God wants you. God has the ability that if he wanted to, he could pull you out of it. But the reason why he doesn't is because he's got something bigger for your life and the people that your life influences. See, the only way the people in the world end up understanding things that are not of the world is they need people that are not of the world to be in the world, to show them there's a difference. You know, the next thing that he puts is in verse 17. Because of this, he says, sanctify them in the truth. And then he says, your word is truth. See, he literally is praying for you, saying, make their joy complete. Don't take them out of the world. Put them in the world. This world needs them. And because the world needs them, sanctify them, purify them, help them to know your truth. And then he gives you a hint in his word of what that truth is. He says, your word, talking to God, your word, God's word is truth. I'll chase a real quick rabbit, the quickest rabbit I've ever chased. If you're struggling with what truth is, I ask you one simple question. Where are you at in God's word? I get astounded at how many people don't understand truth. But then you ask them, how much time do you spend in God's word? Well, I mean, on Sunday morning, man, it's a pretty good message. Could you imagine us graduating kids from high school and say, just be there when you want to. Just study when you want to. Take a test if you want to. Learn if you want to. Congratulations, you're ready to go into the world. Here's your diploma. They wouldn't know anything, would they? See, there's a standard that comes with learning. In fact, I had a professor that said the price of scholarship is repetition. The price of scholarship is repetition. In other words, you've got to keep doing, keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. You never stop learning. There's books that I read on a regular basis. There's books that we offer to you guys on a regular basis. There's a book that you're going to hear me talking about in the beginning of January that is an amazing book that's talking about what are you for. I call it the Four book. It is amazing. You say, Mickey, is there ever a time that you're going to stop studying? Yeah, it's called death. But until that point, there's always something more. If I'm going to be sanctified in truth, I've got to get in his word. Can I challenge you, as we're approaching this next year, if you're trying to figure out, hey, what am I going to do this next year? New Year's resolution, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to eat healthy, and I'm going to lose a little bit of weight. Well, that hadn't worked out for the last several years, so let's do something that's a little bit more obtainable. How about we say, I'm going to make it a priority to get into God's word. And I'll even make a commitment to you. If you're serious about that, I'll do whatever it takes to get you what you need to be in God's Word. I use, this is a rabbit trail, I use the ESV Study Bible. Every time I preach, I use what's called the ESV, English Standard Version Study Bible. It is by far the best, greatest format of God's Word that I've ever used in almost 30 years of ministry. And in it's, and its really good translation from the Greek and the Hebrew, but it has so many notes and so much stuff in there, you can get, I can get lost for days just reading the footnotes about what the scriptures about and cross-referencing, and it's already done for you. If you want to get into God's word and you say, "I just have a little bit of struggle, go get the ESV study by you Say, "Man, those things are like 70 bucks. Come see me. I'll write a check, you can go get it. We'll pay for it." It's important that you be in God's word. Next, the th- fourth thing. The fourth thing, the first thing he asked about the joy being fulfilled. Second thing he prayed for you is not to be taken out of this world. Third thing he prayed for you is that you'd be sanctified in his truth. The fourth thing that he prayed for you, are you ready? There's seven of them. The fourth thing he said was asking also, this is in verse 20, asking also for those who believe in Jesus through your words. If we go back to, to verse 20, and I'm going to flip there because this is a very, very powerful, powerful verse. Verse 20 of chapter 17, can I read it? I do not ask for these only. So he is praying to his Father God and says, this prayer that I'm praying, I'm not just praying this just for the people that I know. Listen to what he says. I'm also praying, but I also for those who will believe in me through their word. If you want to know, do you have the ability through God, through your words to help people go from eternal death to eternal life? Through loss to save, this scripture just gives you the answer. Not only do you have the ability, God has ordained you to be his mouthpiece, and he has prayed that you would be his mouthpiece, and he has prayed for those that through your word are going to come into a right relationship with him. See, God knew how powerful your life was going to be before you were ever born and before you're still not grasping how big of a deal you really are. Like before Will Ferrell Ferrell ever said, hey, I'm a really big deal, God's up there saying, no, these people right here that love me, guess what? No, they are really a big deal. And God, I pray to you, not just for them, but for the people that through them, catch this, through their words are going to believe in me. So that brings up another question. What you talking about? What's your life representing? See, your life is going to help people to believe in something. We're in an amazing Christmas season. I love Christmas. I mean, mean, that's like the understatement of the year. In fact, we did a series, I think it was two years ago, talking about believe. I love believe in believing in something, but I love believing in the right thing. And depending on how you live your life is going to help people either to believe in the right thing or to just believe in something. We'll believe in anything that, at the moment, will give us hope. So my question is you: is what are you speaking about, and is your life giving people hope? The next thing that Jesus prayed for you, the fifth thing, is in verse twenty-three. That they may become perfectly one, that they may become perfectly one. He's talking about this unity. He's talking about how just as I am in the Father. In fact, if you were to back up to the beginning of chapter sixteen, is when Jesus is talking about I am the branch, you are the, the I am the vine, you are the branches. And he's talking about this aspect of addressing and how he takes care of us. But in this thing, he's talking about hey, Jesus is saying, God, will you do me a favor? Just as I am a part of you. I want them through you to have a perfect unity. You ever wondered how a group of people that have totally different backgrounds, totally different struggles, totally different concepts can come together and under the belief of Jesus Christ become one church and have unity? You want me to tell you why that happens? Because your Savior Jesus Christ prayed that it would happen. I mean, have you thought about this yet? Like, what I'm talking about right now is what's called the, the priestly, the high priest prayer that the Savior of the world specifically prayed for you in transcendent time, that these things would be a part of your life. And not only can you see them as being a part of your life, but you get to realize that your Savior that not only saved you and is also your Lord is your prayer warrior, and it's showing up in your life thousands of years later. But he didn't stop there. The sixth thing that he asks is in verse 24. It simply says this, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me May be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundations of the world. Let me put it in a little simpler state. You ever been in a rough moment and you're like, Lord, I need you. I need your presence. And you felt it. Let me tell you why you can feel God's presence in your life. Let me tell you why you can, even though he is is not here, you can feel him be here. And even though you're not there, you can have peace that surpasses all understanding. And it's like you get a little bit of heaven no matter what hell's going on here. The reason why, you know why? Because Jesus prayed for you to have that. In fact, I've wore a bracelet for a while and it simply says simple words on the back of it. It says, never alone. See, that's more than just a cute little phrase that we entered this year. Who knew there was going to be a pandemic? Who knew how big of a deal those words would really be? That despite everything that was going on, you want to talk about divine intervention, God, God put it on our hearts to go into this 2020 year with the theme that you want to be known and needed and that you're never going to be alone. Did we ever realize how big of a deal that would make? In fact, I've stopped using the word socially distance, and I've started using the word physically distance. We need you to physically distance yourself six feet, but we need you to be very socially connected. Why? Because you're never alone and you need people. And so when you hear people starting to say that, that, that's an attack. You need to be careful with those words. In your mind, start telling yourself, no, no, I need to, need to be respectful and, and do the things I need to do and be physically distant. But God has called me to be very socially connected and to be connected with him. It's a part of his prayer for you. It's that perfect unity. It's the point where he can dwell with you. He literally prayed, and God, I want them to be able to dwell where I am and I where they are. And then the last thing, the seventh thing that he said, he talked about his love. He said, I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. That the love which was with, the love that with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Those seven things, I'm going to read them real quick. I wrote them down. That your joy would be fulfilled. That he wouldn't take you out of the world. That he would sanctify you in the truth. That you would be able to ask uh, or you would be able to be anointed with the people that come to know him because of what you have said, that you would be made perfect in one, that he would be able to be with you and you'd be able to be with him, and that you would be able to experience God's love just as Jesus experiences love. See, let me give you the bottom line. To start to piece all this together very quickly, the bottom line is this here's how I wrote it He wants your life to point the world to something bigger. You know what Jesus' biggest overlining concept of his prayer for your life is? He wants your life to be something that is contagious and points people to something bigger. Can we go to the Christmas tree? Going back to those things I talked about, kind of set the stage, how it went from pagan to purpose and talked about this tree skirt, talked about these ornaments. And the reason why those ornaments are being added to your life, the reason why these things represent, see, a lot of people have missed the mark sometimes. We started thinking that a Christmas tree was something that we decorated so that we can make it like, woohoo, that's great. Look at this tree. You're so good. Boy, you really are a great decorator. Boy, your tree really does look, I mean, that is amazing. And the reality is there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not the purpose of the Christmas tree. See, the purpose of the Christmas tree is to tell a story. See, if you were to go back, the original Christmas tree, going back around the 1800s or a little bit before that in the 1700s, before it became known as a Christmas tree, it was something that was actually chopped down. And in order to combat the pagan legacy of what would be the evergreen, they would actually take the Christmas tree and they'd flip it upside down. And what they were doing is they were combating what the pagans were worshiping as far as the winter solstice. And they would flip it upside down because it made a triangle. And then universally, the triangle was looked at as a symbol of the Trinity. But they would literally, most people, in fact, it's a little bit of of a trend that's going on right now. Some of these major celebrities that have a whole lot more money than any of us do, they will have these, rather than chandeliers around this time, they will hang these big Christmas trees that have lights on them and they would look like a chandelier. They say that some of the times the reason why it was like that in the beginning is because if you go back to the German descent and especially around that area, most people's homes are not like our homes. They didn't have these amazing ceilings and these vaulted roofs and all this space. They, you know, it was based on necessity. And there wasn't a lot of floor space. So in order to save floor space, it was easier to hang the tree upside down than it was to put the tree standing up on the floor. Because if you've been in your house, what's the first thing that happens every November? Okay. How are we going to put the tree up and where is it going to go? And then you have the amazing concept of, I tell you what, let's move this couch over here. Yeah. Let's move the couch over here. Yeah. Well, in order to deal with that, they would say, you know, we're going to hang it. But then the Christmas tree went from something that was hung because of these paradise trees and the fruits and the nuts and the stuff that was put on it to something that was standing. And as it moved and we took on this inner concept of of something standing, they would put underneath it this tree skirt and they'd put a nativity scene and they were decorating it. But then they started realizing, you know what? Just like God wants your life to point to something, this tree needs to point to something. And so you know what they did in the early times of the Christmas tree? They would create, whether it be with crafts or paper or something like that, they would bake a little like a manger or a baby Jesus and they would put that baby Jesus at the top of the tree, at the very top. If you look at our trees that we have, or if you look at this small tree that that you have hopefully at your house, at the top, it's like everything is working and pointing to the top of this tree. And so they would put baby Jesus. All of a sudden, it wasn't a nativity on the skirt. It was a baby Jesus image on the top to point people to what the real concept of what the Christmas tree represents, which is Christ with us. Well, as time went on, they stopped putting a picture of baby Jesus or a craft around baby Jesus. And somebody came up with the idea of saying, i tell you what, we will do something even better that tells the story. And hence, the star or an angel was started to put at the top of a Christmas tree and became just as much of a tradition of a Christmas tree as anything else. And what it represented was the star that we're going to read later on, not today that was able to take people on a journey that took them to the manger that represented the birth of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Or they'll put an angel on the top of the tree that was significant of the angel pronouncing to Mary that you are with child. But it all was the same meaning in the fact that at the top of the tree, as this tree was pointing to something, they wanted this tree to point to the message that Jesus Has come to the world. You know, ironically enough, that high priestly prayer also has the same purpose. The high priestly prayer wants you to point to something, the high priestly prayer wants your life at the top to point to something. Unfortunately, for some people, if you were to look at their life, when you get to the top, you know what's sitting at the top? Two letters. M-E. And everything that falls beneath it points to me. But that's not what God's desire is for your life. God wants to decorate your tree and he wants to hide the ugly. He wants to take you from pagan to purpose. He wants to let people to see all the things in your life, these ornaments and what you've been through. So that you can tell your story, but ultimately, he wants your story to say one major thing Jesus has saved me and come to this world to save you. That literally is the purpose and why, at Christmas, if you're like me, you have the kids say, Whose turn is it to complete the tree? By putting the star at the top. See, originally I was going to share this as a part of the message on Christmas Eve. And we were going to partake of the Lord's Supper. And Pastor Sam and I were talking and we were going to end with Silent Night. Man, we had this. all. Oh, I mean, we we're like, woohoo, man, it's going to be great. We're going to get some good stuff. We're going to leave. We're going to be excited. We're going to go into our traditions of Christmas Eve, kind of pointing. But then something happened. You know what I was talking about a minute ago? Never Alone, how God, I mean, guys, listen to me. God has anointed so many things around here that I can't explain it. Like, there are times that, like, when you look at it and you go, wow, that was really good. You need to know, there ain't nobody that good. You know, I mean, Pastor Sam and Haley make up for a lot of my shortcomings, but even the three of us, and including Miss Jennifer, the four of us on our best day can't have these things happen. And so I changed the message to the day. You know why? Because tomorrow is the winter solstice, you say. Well, a lot of stinking die. It happens every year, Mickey. <laughs> like, give me a little bit more. Well, this particular winter solstice is different. Do you know for the first time in eight hundred years that about forty-five minutes after the sun goes down and it's a little bit dark, you're going to go outside? You say, no, no, I'm not. It's going to be 20 degrees. No, no, you are. And you're going to look to the southwest. And for the first time in 800 years, you're going to be able to see the Christmas star by the human visible eye. If you've not read about it, it's been popping up. You're going to hear more about it. You'll hear a lot about it tomorrow. See, it's when Jupiter and Saturn come so close that they become one image, and it becomes so bright, and it's known as the Christmas star. And ironically, it takes place about every 400 years, 397 years to almost be exact. Well, it just so happens that if you were to take that number and divide it by five, you know what you get? Christmas Day. See, we're talking about God doing something amazing. And we're talking about God pointing us to something. And actually, this star became visible back in 1623, but it wasn't visible. But they're saying for the first time in 800 years, this is going to be something that you can actually see. Or it's one more testimony of how big of a deal God is and how big of a deal you are. And how he wants you to know that he's orchestrating things in your life. Even the simplest details that in the church that you sit, that he's orchestrated for you to really captivate exactly who he is in your life. And he's showing you stuff that not everybody gets to see. Because he wants to ask you a question. What's your life going to point to? When they look at the tree and they they see some of the struggles on your tree with ornaments, not every ornament's great. Some of the ornaments were of tough times. And when they look at that tree, are they just going to look at you and look at your life? Or is it going to point to something? Is it going to be something you say, you know what, despite everything, the great times and the not so great times. The butterflies and rainbows. And the cold days that felt like Hades had broken loose in my life. No matter what's a part of my life and what it represents. What's at the top? What everything's leading up to. And the reason why I could handle all of these things is because I have a Jesus that's over the top of my life. And I'm still seeking Him. I remember being in middle school and I was trying to figure out, I had to make a Christmas card. And you just need to know that who I am right now is not the same person I was in middle school. And uh, I, you guys will laugh at this. I was actually a very kind of introvert, shy person. And uh, I'd went through some stuff with my father passing, and I mean I had friends, and I talked, to one like I was just this recluse. But I just, uh, I mean, I don't know how to put. It, I just didn't really trust people that well, and I didn't really know what to do. And I had to make a little Christmas card, and I, I came across this little thing, and it came a little tag, a part of my life every Christmas. I always think about it. And ironically, it's talking about the star, but I just drew this little star on a piece of paper and in the, top, uh, in the middle of it, I just wrote simply this. Wise men still seek him. And it was something I'd found not on Google or the internet because we didn't have that amazing stuff back then. We would get ideas by actually going down to the, to the store and looking through the card section. But my question is, tying all this together, If you're going to move from from pagan to a person with purpose. If you're going to move from from trying to do it your way to all of a sudden having something that helps protect and preserve and to hide the ugly. If you're going to allow these ornaments that are hanging on your tree to start to have something that has a meaning and a telling, a story of your life. I believe all that fails if we stop at that moment and we don't point it to something more. Yes, you've probably figured it out. Today, everybody's getting their star. You're going to get to pick out your star to take home to your tree and put it on your tree that you've been building for the last few weeks. But all of a sudden, when we put meaning to something, it's amazing how stuff changes, isn't it? We entered this Christmas season and we're like, "Oh man, I love Christmas trees. Ooh, they're great. I love it. dark. Ooh, doesn't those look nice. Boy, it's really good how they did this. It was awesome." And Easton almost ripped the whole light thing down there. That was great. I mean, it's wonderful. It, everything's going great. But we just laugh and we cut it. I love you, son. I, you know. But it, but all of a sudden, when we put the meaning, when we put the meaning behind what it stands for, it changes, doesn't it? You want me to tell you why sometimes you struggle with life? It's because you don't understand the meaning. The meaning for you is to tell an amazing story, not of being perfect, not of being fake, not of keeping up with the Joneses or trying to win the games. The purpose of life is to truly love God and to love people and to point them up. And when they look up, just like you're going to look up tomorrow night, they see something that's majestic, they see something that's rare, they see something that's enthralling. And it directs them to how they can have a relationship with Christ by the way you've loved them. With the love that God prayed for you to have, which was God's love. You say, McHadden, man, that sounds great. I got one problem. My life don't mean anything like that. If that's what you feel like, I want you to look at me real carefully. That's a lie straight out of the pits of hell. Here's what I know about God. If your life didn't mean anything, you wouldn't be breathing. If he was done with you, you wouldn't be sitting in this room. If he didn't care about you, he wouldn't be gifting you with a miraculous thing tomorrow night that you're only going to see for the first time in 800 years. If he didn't care about you, he wouldn't have literally numbered the hairs on your head. If you made choices... We all have, haven't we? But listen to me. Your choices don't disrupt his love. Your choices only magnify how much more he loves you. That's why he came. Because he said, I know they're going to make poor choices. And I want them to have forgiveness. And God, I want them to have the same unity that I've had with you. And so he left this priestly prayer and he went to a garden. And he was so ridden with anxiety that he said he sweat drops of blood. And then he got up and was betrayed with a a kiss. And he went to a cross. And he allowed people to kill him. And to crucify him. He allowed it. Because he knew three days later, he was going to put a star at the top of your tree. He knew three days later, he's going to take something that most people would say is pagan. He's going to say, no, 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 that's my child. They've got purpose. That's what the Christmas tree represents. If you were encouraged by today's podcast and would like to experience other talks, visit us at crcconline.com.